Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a blessing that we can be here again to worship our triune God together. Welcome to all of you who are present here and all of you who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message strengthen our faith and cause us to trust our Saviour Jesus Christ that more and more we would live our lives in obedience to God's will. Consistory has the following announcements, the same announcements as this morning. The consistory as elders and deacons will meet tomorrow evening, the Lord willing, at 8pm. And you're reminded that Classis North will be convened this week Friday with the main agenda item being the examination of Brother Dathan Plater. The meeting will be held in this building commencing at 9am and this is an open meeting so you're all welcome to attend. Since no objections have been received, today we could welcome Sister, Sister Sandra Ramaka as a member of our congregation today. Um, Reverend Poppy has been called by the Free Reformed Church of Albany to serve as their minister. And again, a reminder to please pray for our minister and his wife as they seek to find clarity about where the Lord wishes them to serve. This afternoon, the worship service will be led by a brother, John DeVos. Before we commence this worship service, let's sing together Psalm 98, verse 1 and 3. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let us worship our God. We begin this worship service by confessing our dependence on the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rulers of kings on earth. Amen. Let's respond to God's greeting of grace by singing praise to him from Psalm 90, verse 5 and 6.
let us now make a profession of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith, and we will do so this afternoon with the words of the Nicene Creed. Afterwards, we will sing Psalm 16, verse 5. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us, men and our salvation, came down from earth, from heaven, and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he arose according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who from the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. And we believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we may know you, that you are our King, and that you watch over us, and you are seated on your throne in heaven. You are our God, who is in control of all things, and who has also promised that one day your Son, our Saviour, will return on the clouds of heaven. Help us, Lord, to long for this day, to set our hearts on the path that leads there, and to continually trust in you as we make this journey, this pilgrimage. Help us, we pray, to strive to have joy and gladness in our hearts. Joy because Christ Jesus has made full atonement, and joy because each Christian may build on that foundation. Lord, we know that there are many other things that compete for our joy in this life, and none of these things deserve our worship, and yet so often they take away from our worship of you. Help us, Lord, we pray, to forsake the world and to live under your guidance. We pray that you will work in all of our hearts the desire and understanding that you alone are worthy of our worship and praise, including bringing us here to worship you twice each Sunday again. How blessed we are to be able to commune with one another, to be united as the body of Christ, singing praises to your name and joining in thanksgiving and prayer. As we are about to open your word, Lord, we pray that you may soften our hearts, remove distractions from us, Give us ears that hear and let our faith be strengthened 
so that we can serve you and our neighbour in a manner pleasing to you. And may your name be hallowed in our worship. Hear us, please, Lord, in his name alone. Amen. The sermon which I'll read this afternoon was prepared by Reverend C. Bauman, an emeritus minister of the Smithfield Reformed Church, one of our sister churches in Canada. The scripture reading that he has chosen is from Ecclesiastes and also from John, and we'll start first in the Old Testament, from Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7, and through to chapter 12, verse 8. page 663 of the guest bible so ecclesiastes 11 beginning in verse 7 light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun so if a person lives many years let him rejoice in them all but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut, When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Then we turn to the New Testament, John 19, Starting at verse 28, which is on page 1076. So John 19, beginning at verse 28, in relation to the death of Jesus. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, They will look on him whom they have pierced. 
After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So far our reading, so let us now sing from Psalm 88, verse 1, 2 and 3. now turn to the text of the sermon, which is Lord's Day 16. This is on page 530 of your book of praise. So Lord's Day 16. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could 
be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Why is there added, he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Lord's day before us this afternoon, the church gives expression to what we have heard God say in his holy word about death. It's a topic about which we'd rather not spend too much time, for we don't like death and so we would prefer to avoid the topic. And that's the more so because we are a relatively young congregation and so death isn't really much on our minds either. Yet sober reality presses upon us, brothers and sisters, and that death is very much part of our life. There is not one of us who will not die unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns before our time is up. As a matter of fact, there is no guarantee that we as congregation won't have a funeral or two this coming week, and we have no idea today who that may involve. Yet we are foolish then to avoid the subject of death, Foolish not to learn and believe what the Lord our God has revealed in relation to death. It turns out that the Lord God has prepared for us some delightful news in relation to the subject on death. And so delightful it is, in fact, that Paul can't wait to die. So I summarise the sermon with this theme. Because of Jesus' death, the Christian is connected again to God and so never dies. And we'll see, firstly, what is death? Secondly, on how does one escape from death? And thirdly, so what? So first then, what is death? A good look at the world in which we live leads to the obvious conclusion that death is part of existence, for all living creatures die. So such, we conclude, is the way it always has been, and such is the way it shall always remain. And that conclusion, in turn, tempts oneself to resign to the in, uh, the invel sorry to resign oneself that it is a fact of death that we will die. Death shall one day take us, and so we would better make the most of life right now. In His goodness, the Lord God tells us that death has, in fact, not always been part of human existence. The Lord is the God of death of life, not of death. He created people in the image of him, and that's to say that people were also to live, not to die. Death, God reveals, entered the world with the fall into sin. It was God's threat to Adam. You may eat of any tree in the garden except that one. In the day you eat from it, you will surely die. Genesis 2, verse 17. In other words, death is the wages of sin. Romans 6, verse 23. So after Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, the Lord God carried out his threat. Every human born on the face of the earth returns to the dust from which we were taken. Dust you are, and to the dust you will return. Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. So death, Genesis 4, verse 8. Adam lived 930 years, and then he died, Genesis 5, verse 5. 
His son Seth lived 912 years and then he died. Genesis 5 verse 8. His son Enosh lived 905 years and then he died. Genesis 5 verse 11. It's the sad refrain of Genesis 5. And he died, and he died. And that's the hard reality for all humanity. We read this material and we form a conclusion in our minds about what death is. Death, we think, is that the heart stops and there is no more brain activity. And that may indeed be a reasonable understanding of what death is from a medical perspective. But that does not do justice to what the scriptures say about death. God, I said a moment ago, is the God of life. The point of the phrase is that there can be no life without God. Eternal God is the origin of life and the one who sustains all life. To be alive requires that one be connected to this God, that one draws one's energy from him. When one becomes separated from God, when one is disconnected from him, one dies. And that explains the connection between sin and death. God is too holy to tolerate sin and so expels from his presence anyone who gives himself to sin. And that, of course, is separation from God, being disconnected from God. So you sin, you die. By way of an analogy, consider a fan plugged into a power outlet in the wall. The fan turns at so many revolutions per second because of the energy that it draws from the power source in the wall. But unplug it and what happens? And we know it stops turning. Yet it doesn't stop instantly. It needs 20 or 30 seconds to stop turning, depending on its momentum and its lubrication. Even so, the moment the fan is disconnected from its power source, it's immediately dead. It's just a matter of time before it loses its wind altogether and peters out. And so it is with death. The moment the human race became unplugged from God, and that's what the fall into sin was, we broke our bond with God and joined Satan's side. And so the mo moment the human race became unplugged from God, we died. Then our fan can keep on turning for a while, but the fact of the matter is that everyone is petering out so that sooner or later we'll breathe our last. So Adam's fan, may I say it this way, turned another 930 years before he petered out, but die he did. Our fan may turn some 70 years or 80 if we're strong, but die we shall. And we'll die because through our fall into sin we've become unplugged from the source of life. And this congregation is what the Bible means when it speaks about being dead in transgressions and sins, Ephesians 2 verse 1. One is still alive in the medical sense, but death is inevitable because one is disconnected from the source of life and so is already a living dead man. More, when one is unplugged from God, one in effect gets plugged into Satan that's Ephesians 2 verse 2. The spiritually dead follow the ways of this world, follow the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ways of the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Yet Satan cannot support life. He cannot keep your fan turning, let alone turning smoothly. And that leads to a lifestyle of wickedness. One invariably peters out. Then most appear before the judgment. Then must appear before the judgment seat of God, and then receives one's just sentence, eternal death in hell, in total separation from the God of life. So it becomes clear what we need is some way to escape death, some way to be reconnected to the God of life, and that is our second point. How does one escape from death? The passage we read from John 19 began with the Lord Jesus Christ already on the cross. He was crucified and we confessed in Lord's Day 15 because our sins were transferred onto him and that's to say he became sin in our place. 
After Jesus, according to John 19, had complained of thirst, he declared that his work was finished. Verse 30. With that, John continues, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Verse 30b. We understand that those words are a reference to Jesus dying. Yet our congregation, are we to understand this description of Jesus dying? He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Does this refer to Jesus petering out like a fan, broken and exhausted by the suffering of his crucifixion? We might think so, but the evidence of scripture points to something else. Notice then, first of all, that more men were crucified with Jesus. They did not die as quickly as Jesus did. That's clear from verse 32. The soldiers broke the legs of the two exactly because they were still alive, and they spared Jesus because he was already dead. Jesus then died early. Mark records that when Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body. Pilate was surprised that Jesus was already dead. Mark 15, verse 44. In the second place, notice how John describes Jesus dying. He bowed his head, says John, and he gave up his spirit. So the point, Jesus was not passive, powerless, a victim that death could carry away. John puts it in very active terms. Jesus now deliberately bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That is, he was king, as the sign over the cross also said, king also over death. Once his task on the cross was finished, he sovereignly gave himself to death. He decided to die. Jesus then did not peter out, but deliberately died at this point in time. And this we know, and we need to know, is fundamentally significant for the material of our Lord's day. How so, you ask? So God, brothers and sisters, saw Jesus on the cross as the sinner. Recall, the sins of all God's people, yours and mine included, were placed on Jesus Christ. Though he was himself without sin, he now became sin. But God is too holy to tolerate sin, and so disconnected himself from Jesus Christ. For three long hours, thickest darkness prevailed over the land, and that's because God rejected his son. At the end of these three hours of darkness, Jesus cried out his agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is to say, by God's decision, Jesus on the cross was unplugged from the God of life, unplugged from the source of life, it had to be, so because the wages of sin is death. Death, not first of all in the medical sense, as in that your heart stops, but death in the spiritual sense of being unplugged from the source of life. So this becomes the big question. If Jesus on the cross is unplugged from the God of life, will Jesus' fans slow down, peter out? Or does he have life within himself so that he can keep on living? even though he is disconnected from God? Yet he cannot have life within himself if he remains sin. He must atone for sin, pay for our sins. How? By enduring the eternal weight of God's wrath on all of our sins. This now is the gospel. After being rejected by God, after being disconnected from the source of life, Jesus did not peter out, but he sovereignly, majestically continued to live. More, he atoned for sin and then cried out those majestic words, It is finished. John 19 verse 30. With his work on the cross complete, and that is, with sin atoned for and the sinners reconciled to God, he had no need to linger on the cross as any other crucified person lingered till death came to take him. But Jesus could now sovereignly give himself to death, not as its victim, but as its master. And that is the force of John 19, verse 30. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He did not peter out as if he himself had been unplugged from God, therefore causing his fan to slowly stop turning. And were that the case, there would be no redemption for sinners. Instead, Though he was unplugged from God, 
rejected by the just judge of all the earth, he had life within himself, eternal life, and so he could, and he did, pay for our sins. When that was done, he died, and that's to say that he committed his spirit to his Father in heaven, entered into the presence of his Lord and Father. Here, congregation, is the material of Lord's Day 16, question and answer 40. Though Christ was true God, he had to humble himself even unto death because the justice and truth of God required that sanctification for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. He had to die because the wages of sin is death. Yet the death he died could not be simply a medical death, the heart stopping. The death he died had to be first of all that he was spiritually dead, that is, unplugged from God and left to himself. And that's what question and answer 44 refers to. His rejection by God was that he was handed over to hell, to Satan. And then the big question was whether he had life within himself to fight against and overcome sin and Satan and the powers of hell. In those three hours of darkness on the cross, hell came to Jesus Christ and he triumphed. For yes, he had life in himself, so he could die medically, his heart could stop, and Jesus in his spirit could go to the Father in heaven and be welcomed in the courts of God. And that congregation is why death is no longer a problem for us. Yet before I work that out in our third point, I need to draw your attention for a moment to question and answer 41 of our Lord's Day. The point is that there are those who insist that Jesus never actually died. They point to his resurrection on the third day, and they insist that Jesus was simply in a coma when he was buried. I would not mention this matter if it did not touch on our salvation. But we've seen already, if Jesus had not really died, there would simply be no redemption for sinners. So why was he buried? Answer 41 says, His burial testified that he had really died. How so? Could they not have buried a man in a coma? Read John 19, brothers and sisters. The soldiers who came to break the legs of the crucified were professionals. They knew the signs of life. And those Romans had no stake in Jesus' identity. To them, he was just another criminal. But they agreed Jesus was dead. And that's the first lesson on the point from John 19. The second is, Joseph of Arimathea and his friend Nicodemus took Jesus' body off the cross, then wrapped it in lengths of linen strips together with 75 pounds of spices. In the eye of our mind, we can see them do it. You roll out the strips of cloth in a long row, lay the body on one end, and wrap the cloth around the body by rolling the body round and round, and all the while pouring 75 pounds of spices into the cloth. So the point here, if, this, if these two friends of Jesus had detected any sign of life, they would most certainly not have proceeded to cart Jesus' body to the tomb and roll a stone in front of it. That they buried Jesus' body is because they, after working with it for the time it takes to wrap up and carry a body, were absolutely convinced that Jesus was dead. And that is the enormous comfort of Lord's Day 16, question and answer 41, that Jesus was truly dead. So we come to our third point. So what? If now, congregation, Jesus died to demonstrate that his victory over sin and Satan if Jesus could be unplugged from God and instead of petering out could still crush Satan because he had life in himself, what consequences follow for us? A passage as Romans 6 is emphatic on these implications. This passage even speaks of dying to sin, verse 2. And the point here is that when one is unplugged from God, one in effect ends up being plugged into Satan as your source for energy. That results in turn, of course, 
in a style of living that deviates greatly from what the God of life has ordained. Well now, through Jesus' death on the cross, the child of God has been unplugged from Satan and been connected again to God, so that God is again one's source of life and of energy. In verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll, we'll also live with him. Verse 10, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Paul continues in verse 11, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now how about that? Dead we were because of our falling to sin unplugged from God, and so our fan would inevitably stop one day, so death. But because of Christ's victory, we're united to God again, plugged into the source of life once more, and so we are alive. We can draw again from his energy and live forever. Our fans will never stop, and that is the value of faith. Faith, if you will, is the cord that connects us to the true source of life, Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus can put it like this in John 5, verse 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Notice well, congregation, what Jesus says. He does not say that the person who believes will receive eternal life as if eternal life is what you get when you die medically and your soul appears before God's judgment seat and God finds faith and so sends you to heaven to live with him forever? No, according to Jesus' words, eternal life is what the believer already has. How is this so? The believer has eternal life as soon as he is plugged into God again. Eternal life is reality now, for when you're plugged into God, you cannot ultimately die. That is why the death of the body, medical death, if you will, is no longer the enemy it otherwise was. Listen to Paul. He is not at all afraid to die. Philippians 1. To me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And... I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far than staying here. This life with its tears and its pain and struggles is not as good as it gets. Ahead of us, beloved, is something far better than we can ever imagine. And the guarantee that it's coming is that we, thanks to Christ's death on the cross, are plugged in again to God today already. And that's why the Catechism can say so wonderfully in answer 42 that yes, we must still die, but our death is not a payment for sin, for Christ made that payment for us. Instead, our death puts an end to sin, oh, a glorious day, and is an entrance into eternal life, where the phrase eternal life here means the delightful presence of God himself. Then holidays can be a nice thing to look forward to and we can even get excited as we make the preparations. But here is something far nicer to look forward to, far more exciting. To die really is to gain. Meanwhile, God in his providence has us for now living on this earth. How would he have us to live? With bags packed for heaven, waiting on the front porch for the taxi? Not so, not so at all. The Holy Spirit moved Solomon already to teach his people the glorious consequences of the good news of Christ's triumph over death. Ecclesiastes 11. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. And be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart. So the point here, Israel's covenant youth and the not-so-young of Israel should know themselves plugged into God on account of the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed in their temple. Instead of being spiritually dead, disconnected from God, they are alive and so should enjoy the life God gives. 
And no, that does not mean that anything and everything they feel like doing is okay. But it does mean that they are to live from out of their connection to God and thoroughly enjoy that. If one's energy comes from the God of life, one's lifestyle will be dramatically different than if one's energy comes from Satan. Lord's Day 16 again, verse question answer 43. Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us. Instead, now that we're alive in Christ, we have every reason and it's Solomon's inspired command to offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness and enjoy doing it day by day. Life for the child of God may not, says the Bible, be a drudge just putting in time while we await the new Jerusalem. The Lord would very much have us enjoy the full pleasures that come with being plugged into him, drawing on his life, his energy and his strength. And that is the kind of lifestyle that Paul catches in that pithy little quote from Philippians 1. To me, to live is Christ. The Christ who died in my place is the source of my joy and my life. And so, yes, I'll enjoy the opportunity to serve in his kingdom on this earth as long as the Lord leaves me here. And even as I enjoy this life, says the Christian with Paul, to die is gain. And so one is ever ready to depart this veil of tears to be with Christ Jesus himself in the splendor of heaven, obviously a far better thing. We like to keep on living on this earth. We tell ourselves that we were created to live and not to die. Let it all be fixed in our minds, though, beloved, that the death we all need one day to experience is not the enemy that it used to be. For the child of God is reconciled to God, is plugged into God again. And so medical death is nothing else than a door from one room of God's world, this earth, into another room of God's world, heaven. Then the point of living is not to see children and grandchildren, nor to travel hither and thither or accomplish this or that, but the point of living is to serve the God of our existence in whatever place or manner he prescribes whether on this earth or in heaven, whether with the body or without. The point is Christ, his glory through us. So to live is Christ, and we'll enjoy living as long as God gives life. And to die is gain, for then we'll be allowed to serve our master and Lord perfectly without the constraints of sin. As we know, there will be a funeral in the congregation this week, Whoever passes on will most certainly be missed and we will grieve at the loss. But the confession of the church in Lord's Day 16, brothers and sisters, puts any Christian death in a whole new light, a wonderful light, and puts the lives that we're going to live this week in a wonderful light also. To be plugged into God again so that our fans never ever stop, not even in old age, how wonderful the privilege, what perspective for living. Amen. Let us respond to the sermon by singing from Psalm 30, verse 1 and 2 and 3.
Let us pray. Almighty God and loving Father, we thank you for the opportunity to again be instructed in your word. We thank you also, Lord, for the Heidelberg Catechism, which is used to support and strengthen our faith. Lord, you provide us also with the amazing gift of eternal life. As we could hear this afternoon, we pray that you will help us to remember that death is no longer the enemy that it used to be. For being a child of you, we are reconciled before you, and therefore death is a doorway into your heavenly world, where we may then serve you perfectly without the constraints of sin. Lord, your purpose for our lives is wise, and you ordain everything in the most perfect way. Help us to look to you in faith, not only in the good times, but especially when the difficult times come. Please grant us the same spirit of submission that Christ had. Help us to trust in your plan for us and to humbly accept that you are all-knowing. We pray too, Lord, that you will forgive us when we question your wise purposes. Help us to look to the cross for the answers that we need when we are struggling or suffering. We pray that your love for us is great, for you sent your only Son to hang on the cross in our place. And help us then to put away our doubts and our questions for your plan for our lives, knowing that you will never forsake us. Lord, we pray also for those who are straying from you. May you open their eyes in a way that they have no doubt that you exist. And may you give them an understanding of your grace that they may repent and turn back to you. There are others in our congregation, Lord, that continue to have health concerns. And adding to this, there are others who are carrying quiet, unseen burdens. Yet, Lord, we know that you know everything and you see all, and nothing is hidden from you. Reassure all of us of your presence and give us confidence in your fatherly promises. May we all receive encouragement from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that you hold each one of us in the palm of your hand. We pray, Lord, and we thank you that for what you provide us through our minister, Reverend Poppy, and we ask that you may continue to grant him with your grace to be patient and humble to shepherd us here in Southern River. Lord, we also again ask that you will surround him and his wife and his family with your nearness as they consider where it is that you plan for him to serve amongst your people, whether remaining here in Southern River or whether amongst our brothers and sisters in Albany. Lord, we pray for your continued blessing over the mission work that happens in Papua New Guinea. May the gospel go out and be planted within the hearts of those who hear it, so that they may know true joy. Bless to this end the collection that we will have for this mission work. Help us, Lord, we pray, to willingly contribute, knowing that all the money we earn belongs to you. Help us to be good stewards of what you give to us, and may we be faithful in blessing one another. We ask too, Lord, that you will help us as we go from here, that we are encouraged by the gospel that we have heard today. We pray for your Holy Spirit to help us through the week ahead. Remind us to fear your name and to not rely on our own works. Will you help us to live our lives in thankful obedience and always be looking expectantly for your return? Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. This afternoon, the offering is for mission work in PNG, and following this, our closing song will be Hymn 73, verse 1, 2, and 3.
receive God's blessing and go in peace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.